electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. Refresh or reversal? What is the state of stocks in that year-end rally many are still predicting? We'll ask the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link. Josh Brown, Jim Labenthal, Anastasia Amoroso, everybody's here at the desk today. Let's check the markets. There you go. We're higher across the board. Dow's good for nearly 300, just shy of uh, 34,000 there, 33,986. S&P, 39.80, three quarters of 1%. NASDAQ's back over 11,000 as well. That's about a half percent gain. And the 10-year note yield is at 377. We're going to get to the bait over stocks in just a moment. I do have some new color as well on that Carl Icahn GameStop short you're not going to want to miss. However, we begin with a trade alert, and it is Stephanie Link. Yes. We're showing Disney because you bought it. You bought it. The Icon, the Iger Encore yeah. drives you back into the stock? Reminds me of Starbucks when Schultz returned, right? It's, this is Starbucks 2.0. Iger has a great reputation. He's got experience. He's got content connections, and that is really key. The costs are so bloated. There's so much that they can do. They spend more than Netflix, right? And they don't have nearly the same subscriber base. And I think the valuation, while not super cheap at 23 times forward, relative to its five-year history at 49.5 times forward, that to me is more attractive. And the stock's down 37% year to date. I haven't been involved in this thing, so I haven't used my brain power on it. it, it uh, I just think the risk reward right here is, is, is pretty good. And I think we know the bad news on the parks. We know that the global slowdown will impact the parks. It already, it already is, right? China is going to reopen. And at the same time, everyone loved the streaming assets for the last five years. Now all of a sudden they don't like the streaming assets, right? So it's like some, there's a disconnect here. So I think that the story can work. You think he has a heavy lift? You think he has a heavy lift? I don't in the brands that they have, right? Because they do have... The brands are the asset. Right. And, but the heavy lift is going to be on the cost side, but I don't think that's going to be very hard. It's such a bloated cost structure, right? So I think you can control the costs. You've got the brands. Well, we'll see what they do in terms of Hulu and that kind of thing, what his direction is going to be. He's going to get all of his people back in action. And he's going to surround himself with really strong people. And hopefully he can find a successor. But I think the stock will work between now and two years from now. And I would not be surprised to see if he stays on further than two years. So let's kick it around. Um, Because I know that you, Josh, from what you said yesterday, you wouldn't buy it. Despite Iger coming back. You made your case pretty clear. But now you've got somebody sitting next to you just bought it and articulated all the reasons why. So what's the assessment? Stephanie's talking about two years. It's entirely possible that she makes money in two years. I would never say that I know what's going to happen with the stock over the next 24 months. Is it too months. expensive right here, though? Well, so that's the thing. It's not a cheap stock. It's historically expensive relative to its 10-year median numbers. Let's take a look at enterprise value to EBITDA, which is how they value media companies. It's 18 and a half times 
Historically, over the last 10 years, it's averaged 11 and a half times. And that's after a 38% drawdown. So the market clearly is not done re-rating the stock lower. The news is in. We all know Iger's back now. Why is it trading down? Because whatever Iger is there to do, it's probably not just to clean things up a little and be a caretaker. Iger has done transformative transactions, and that's probably going to be in the cards in his first couple of quarters. Maybe they make a run at Netflix. Maybe they try to consolidate some of these third and fourth tier streamers like Paramount. I don't know what the plan is going to be, but I promise you he didn't come back here just to clean up a little bit. He's going to do something big, and that doesn't necessarily translate to a higher stock price at least once it's announced. So that would be my first uh, instinct is to think about it that way. It's an expensive stock. It's actually more expensive than Netflix on trailing 12 months earnings. And it's expensive relative to its own typical valuation. So I think there's another leg down. Uh, I do think the stock can work out. I might even buy it when it takes that leg down. But technically, it's sitting on support. There really doesn't seem to be a lot of enthusiasm. And the next break lower, it could have a seven handle. Like, don't fall out of your chair if and when that happens. So how do you respond to that? Well, I want them to do M&A. I want them to buy Hulu. I want them to explore what the op- opportunities are for them in streaming. We want them to do JPEG these didn't do any deals. That's exactly that's exactly right. right. And at the same time, their expense rate went up fivefold. So he's going to lower expenses a little bit. He's going to use his connections in content. Oh, look, I mean, they've got look, they've got Pixar, they've got Marvel, they've got Lucas Films, they got 21st Century, they got rid of ABC Radio. Like he under him. Right. So he did all this this good stuff. He's going to do more. It's going to take time. But I have no doubt he's going to do more because he's got to get size and scale. And he has to be able to rationalize the higher cost. He's going to go for more size and more scale. Over over the last year, they spent 30, they spent 30 billion on on film content over the last year. Think about the magnitude of that number and the ROI, at least as far as shareholders are concerned, is negative. Nobody has benefited from that. So they already announced prior to Iger coming back that they're going to scale that ambition back a, a, a little bit, which I think is rational, given, given that stock prices in the streaming group are not being rewarded anymore for that sort of empire building. But if he comes out with a big deal to buy something. sub numbers, by the way. What's that? Sub numbers are not being rewarded like they once you, were. You get to a point where everyone who wants it gets it, right? Not so necessarily. It, it's it's hard, a matter it's of how much to, you're, It's a matter of how much you're spending for them. You, you know, you, you Jim, um, highlight sub numbers all the time. I feel like we're in a paradigm shift of how Wall Street is going to view all of that. Yeah. I, and I think, the number itself isn't as important as what you're spending to get the number. I think the paradigm has shifted. I agree with you. Uh, it has shifted over the course of this year from, hey, get the subscribers at any cost to, wait a second, how much does this cost? And why has that changed? It's changed because the cost of capital has gone up significantly in the course of this year. Okay. That paradigm has shifted. As I said to you yesterday, and I'm not sure I was eloquent enough when we spoke because we we're getting at it a little bit, but that paradigm will shift again. That's central to my thesis. And when we speak about, and it's, listen, I listen to what Josh says. I listen to what everybody says. These are good points. The enterprise value to EBITDA at 18 times, or Stephanie, what you're saying, 23, 24 times earnings. For any of us, I'm not going to speak for Stephanie, but for any of us that are getting in this stock, we're we are not looking. 
Exactly. But we're not looking at the current earnings or EBITDA as anything like where trend is going to be. Okay, and this is important. This ties directly to what you're saying about the paradigm shifting. Yes, there is spending going on on these subs and eventually they're going to pay off. And when I say eventually, it's actually not that far away. There is soon to be now soon is in the eye of the beholders. But we're talking 2024 profitability on on Disney Plus. If I were Disney management, I would have been sandbagging that all day long so that at the end of this year, excuse me, the end of this coming year, they get to profitability. When that happens, the paradigm will have shifted six months before then to say, wait a second, the reward is here. So good points. I just don't think that the 18 times enterprise value to EBITDA or the 24 multiple, I know it's not, not why I'm in the stock. I, I doubt it's why Stephanie's in as well. Well, we, we need then, we'll see how you know, time's going to play out and see what, what happens. You got the activist there, too, uh, and the new one in, in Nelson Pelt. So. I just think this is blue chip on sale, and that's what I do. That's why I bought Starbucks. That's why I bought Nike. That's why I'm buying this one. I mean, I think it's very rare to get a stock like this caliber, this quality management team, and the changes that are about to come, even at this valuation. But it's like blue chip times. that's nicked up a little bit. Well, because, right? because the prior CEO screwed up, right? So now you have somebody new coming in. Right, but the prior oh. CEO, let's be fair, too, the prior CEO wasn't exactly left with the most pristine of, of environment either. Well, the I mean, he had to navigate problem. through the pandemic. Problem is the balance sheet got a lot of debt from the, from the, from the Fox he's deal. I, I get that. That's the problem. He, he, he obviously will own the mistakes that he made. There's a reason why he's not in the job today for what he was in a few days ago. Mistakes obviously were made. But let's not act like he made all the mistakes. He made a lot of them. And that cost structure is huge, what he did. And the reorganization didn't work. And he's not going to be, and he was, he couldn't get the talent that Iger, I think, can get. Look what he did. Look at what Iger did this morning. The first thing he did, get rid of the content guy. Because guess what? It wasn't working. Look, so, it's hard to shoot it at, at, you know, the the records of iconic CEOs. It's like when Schultz yeah. comes back, you, you make the analogy to Starbucks. I do. You know, for obvious reasons, when Schultz comes back, you know, it's Howard Schultz. These are iconic names in the corporate world. Yeah. Iger. There are very few people who are on that list. Right. He's certainly one of them. So he's going to get the benefit of the doubt in some respects. But, you know, not much, Judge. This stock was 92 when he came back. It's 95. Like the market is not, the market had like eight hours to get excited about this. And it's already rolled over. Well, to I'm me, not that's in it for notable. a minute. You know, like not. I am in it for a long time. Well, if you bought it after the news, then right. If you bought it because after the news, it's a challenged, it's a challenged um, property at the moment, trying to figure out the streaming thing, right? If you, you can't just reverse your, you can't just come in and say, well, we're going to reverse the, the strategy, we're going to do this, that, and the other thing. One element the to market, this. it's a show me story. One element to this it's is a that show me Disney story. doesn't get to pick, Disney doesn't get to choose the environment in which it fixes its problems. It's stuck with this environment. Let me explain to you what this environment is. All of the consumer comps and travel and leisure comps are going to get significantly harder in 23 versus these blockbuster 22 numbers. Everybody knows it. It's not going to be a surprise when it happens, but it's a tough environment to try to fix things in. You're going to have consumers with less disposable income. There are higher borrowing costs in the economy. 
You're going to have a slower economy. You're going to have slower corporate profits. That's the environment that Disney is now going to try to fix I can say the same thing about Netflix. Things. I can say the exact same thing about Netflix, and you're in Netflix. Does Netflix own theme parks? No, but still, it, no, it's not a consumer. But still. But this is what makes it apples and oranges. On, get, getting the streamers, getting the growth, having to spend on I don't, the content. Steph, with all due respect, you've been to Disney with is, your family. I don't think that costs you the same as a I'm, monthly subscription I'm to Netflix. I'm just saying, part of what your argument is, is that it's going to be tough for the consumer. If it's tough for the consumer on parks, it could be on streaming too. And it's not just Disney specific. And this stock is down 37%. Not no, but Netflix is talking $10 versus $5,000. Netflix Whatever. obviously has a, a, a lead in the race. Yeah, they do. Netflix is a the big, only profitable streamer. Can we all just get Well, I go back to what Barry That's, Diller said. On, okay, on, it didn't on, help the stock. It's down 53%. What did Barry Diller Disney's actually outperformed Netflix. What did Barry Diller say two weeks ago on Squawk Box? What did Barry Diller say? Two weeks ago on Squawk Box, right? Yeah. Well, so, so basically said the game's over. Netflix won that game. So everybody's chasing Thanks. Netflix's tail. By the way, Reed Hastings, in the most recent earnings calls, like, stop looking at the total number of subs. It's not what's going to drive the stock anymore. Focus on the profitability of what it takes to get the subs. As I said, paradigm shift. Let me get, speaking of shift, uh, to Anastasia, because you haven't had a word in it. But look, you, you don't talk about individual names. Um, so I wanted to get through that. But Josh made a good point about these comps for consumers, um, discretionary areas of the economy. It all plays into the same story. How do you view that? I think it does. I think Josh makes a great point that a lot of these big tech names that we're talking about, there's a cyclical shift. And then there's honestly a secular shift going on as well, whether it's streaming, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's cloud computing, all of that is not going to be immune from a cyclical slowdown, which is clearly underway. But I also do think that we have had, to Josh's point, so much pull forward of all of this demand and so much more crowded competition in a lot of this, these places that you can just make a slam dunk, slam dunk secular case for things like cloud and e-commerce and streaming. So that's why I think big tech more broadly is just a little bit more challenging as it was before. I put in the category, you know, broadly of maybe broken leaders that need to take a little bit of time to repair. To Steph's point, this is not, you know, the next you know, month trade. Maybe it takes a couple of years to, to do that repair. But in the meantime, for the market, that makes it more challenging to break out to new highs if you don't have the big tech leadership once again. So let's pivot um, again, if we could, um, to something new at noon. Uh, I do have some more color on that report that Carl Icahn is short GameStop and has been for the past couple of years. From what I understand, it's a fairly large position, but not that meaningful relative to the size of his overall portfolio. Now, as reports have said, he began shorting it when it was around $400 a share. He's traded around it at times. He still does have the short on. He wouldn't comment at all uh, when I spoke with him by phone this morning. Um, but that's my understanding about where sort of things stand. Um, I really wanted your take, Josh, especially on, on this. I've never traded GameStop. I never fully understood the appeal of it. I understood that part of it just got carried up in momentum and a lot of people who had stayed short for too long and most of the float was short and it became an easy target to uh, blow some of these guys up. And then that itself became recreational or a spectator sport that's like a year ago though and so now the stock is in a 77 percent decline you, you of course you know they have employees they have stores they have customers you never want to root for a company to uh fail or to go under unless you're short the stock and i'm not so i don't really have a horse in this race i do think it's interesting though that ryan cohen and carl icon had a meeting there was a, a photo tweeted out a month ago so apparently there was a chance maybe for Ryan to explain what he wants to do with the company. 
And maybe Carl just didn't come away from that convinced that he could do it. And so maybe that's the, the most interesting lens to look at it through. It's not personal. It's not about people tearing each other apart on the Internet. It's just, hey, you think you're going to change the, the direction of the company? I don't think you could do it. And that's why I'm still short. The other thing that I guess, Jim, I've, I've gotten to learn about Carl through the years is that when he does a short like this, he stays around. He stays around for a long while. You would know. You would know. He stays around. From, from the so if he was in, at, you know, in the 400s, and as I suggested, he's you know, clearly traded around it at times, but the fact that he's still there, uh, given where the stock price has come to from that level, yeah. suggests that he's not really running away anytime soon either. No, and I, look, the, the problem with shorting a stock like this is it can go against you for a long time. And you speak to any short seller, and obviously you, you've, you've spoken to many, so have I, so have all of us. And the problem is, is you've really got the courage of your convictions. You've got to have it when the, when the price moves against you, because let's face it, when you're shorting a stock, you've got infinite potential losses. So when it starts moving against you, and it could be whatever it could be, the Reddit gang getting together, it could be just, you know, irrational exuberance, you've got to have the courage of your convictions. You've also got to have the capital to stay in there. Obviously, Carl Icahn does, but it ain't easy. It ain't easy shorting stocks. No, no but he, yeah, you made the, the probably the most important point of all. The guy's got the capital to stick around, right? He's really not worried about uh, any, message, anything else. Message board volume is, if, if you, somebody was doing a story about the, the Reddit reaction overnight to this news that Icahn is still shorting GameStop, there's almost no reaction at all. Uh, a lot of people that were part of that uproar have moved on to other things, and it's, it's, it would be weird to think that history will repeat and all of a sudden there's going to be this tremendous squeeze to go after, you know. You make a good point. When you say investor. have moved on to other things, are you suggesting that a, a, a part of that cohort that, you know, was so prolific at a time during the pandemic is out of the market now? I'm not sure. Because of the upset in stocks? I'm, I'm not sure. If you look at, if you, look, you know, Robinhood stopped putting data out about their, their most popular stocks. Like a lot of the ways that we were measuring that are, are no longer applicable. But if you look at the typical message volume on message boards, not that I do, but reporters are, they don't see the same fervent uh, kind of posting under Bed Bath & Beyond, ended up taking a lot of people out. Um, you saw uh, GameStop take a lot of people out. AMC and, and the Ape uh, shares didn't work out particularly well. I think people in general get bored when they're not making money. And when they're losing money, they very quickly look for a different activity. So, Anastasia, this, you know, I mentioned at the very top, whether we are, you know, the pause that refreshes the rally or is this the pause that reverses the rally? You still find notes of people who are predicting, you know, the rally into the year end. Deutsche Bank says there's room. 4,200 by year-end 22. Going to get there or no? I think we push higher into year-end. And Jim told me at the beginning of the show that this was the bullish side of the table, apparently. And I, uh, I do think the stocks can move higher um, for, into year-end. The reason I say that is because the two biggest catalysts that were negative has been inflation prints and has been the Fed. And what you have today is inflation indicators are really starting to roll over. The last inflation print really doesn't put us on pace to 2% annualized inflation, but on pace to 4.9% annualized inflation. So that 
that's important. And you've got rent that's coming down. You've got, um, you know, shipping container prices that are coming down. So that accumulates to something that the Fed probably likes. But either way, the Fed is not actually reacting to inflation anymore. I'm convinced because they know it's high. Uh, you know, even if it inches down a little bit, they're still going to get with our trajectory to 5%. But the point is, that is in the market, Scott. That's already priced in, and therefore it's not going to be this negative do you think it's priced? Do you think it's priced? Do you think the economy has fully felt the effects of the fastest 400 basis points in Fed funds hikes in no. the history of the Fed? I don't think that. And that's why, you know, any sort of conclusion that I make is going to have to be week by week or maybe month by month. But it's not a conclusion for six months out. I think what is likely to happen, the market starts to sniff out the end of the tightening cycle. The next stop is 5 percent. That's the next phase of Fed policy. After that, typically, once the tightening cycle is over, you have maybe a little bit of pop and a bit of a euphoria and a bit of a relief rally. But then, Josh, to your point, we have to grapple with reality. The rates are 5 percent housing market is not going to rebound anytime soon. But there's a lot of momentum. I mean, look at the Atlanta Fed GDP now. And I know that it has a spotty track record, but it's at 4.1%. Are oh, you going to do a good quarter. print? I mean, you're going to do a good, good print. You're going to do a good print, but people are talking like we're going to be negative in this quarter. We're not going to be negative in this quarter. My point well, because housing is going off a cliff. My point, my and it's a big point part of the economy, is, is that right? we have a lot of momentum in the economy still. Right. So maybe if jobs can stay strong and by the way, retail sales were better than expected from the government. Yeah, they were. Right. And auto sales are actually quite strong No, because the consumer so, is reasonably good right. shape. Now, I know they're charging a lot of look, stuff guys, on their credit cards. I've been talking about the problem. It is true. That's the problem. It's not good. Guys. It's been, not good. It is right. It, I have Aaron been talking about the lag effect forever. I have. But I have to tell you, I am more surprised about the underlying momentum that we're seeing in this fourth quarter so that maybe just maybe a soft landing is in the cards. I don't know. No, but like Edyard Denny says, maybe you get no landing because of exactly what you're saying. I'm just saying that there's a lot of You know what I mean? Like maybe we're not talking about the economy decelerating by some tremendous degree, regardless of what the yield curve well, shows about a possible recession, right. the lag effect and everything else. And I mean, th- there is a school of thought that Therefore, earnings might hold up better than expected. Oh, by the way, the dollar's not shooting higher from here, right? It, at least it's paused for a bit of time. And the markets are a forward-looking indicator. And the markets are down 16% year-to-date. And the Nasdaq's down double that, right? So, so like, a lot of bad is priced in. And it just seems like there's a lot of negative rhetoric out there at this and very I, moment. I think that's last, why last you, word. Last word. I think that's why you have to take it a week and a step at a time. You can't project out what's going to happen six months to a year from now. You have to see where we have the visibility today. And I think it's the things that, Steph, you mentioned, the economy is still fine. The Fed is priced in. And the year had, uh, the, the into the year and dynamics, seasonality tends to be supportive. So that's why, for now, I think it's a pause that refreshes. Okay. So let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Um, I noticed a move, Jimmy, that you have. You sold a stock, and we were going to uh, uh, we're going to do that uh, after this break. Back right, uh, right after this on the Halftime Report. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. 
Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. Uh, we have a bunch of names in the news we want to get to. Uh, number one's Medtronic. Uh, down on earnings, right? Down on you selling it. Why you sell it? Because I'm down on the earnings. Because no, I actually sold it yesterday. Uh, you know, and and you know, look, it doesn't matter whether I sold it before today's decline or after. It's been a bad investment. Um, Scott, you may remember, and, and viewers may remember that last week. I think we were talking about this, and you could hear me, damn it, with faint praise or no praise at all. Uh, I thought about it, and I thought, why is this taking up space in my portfolio and space in my brain? And I sold it yesterday. It was a small position in the portfolio. I've hold it, held it about two and a half years, down a little bit on it. Bad, bad investment. I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. I've cut it out. I'm moving on. I've got a little capital to play with. For me, I'm looking forward to the next purchase. Now, we'll say this to be helpful on the stock. It, the reason it hasn't worked, first, it was that, you know, everybody was getting crowded out of the hospitals by COVID. They weren't getting stents. They weren't getting knee replacements, all that sort of stuff. Fine. That's over. That was supposed to be coming back. It hasn't. I'm just, you know, the thesis did not work. It was broken. I got rid of it. What do you have your eye on with the, with the money from that sale? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think we're going to go to retail soon, right? There are some interesting retail uh, uh, picks in there. And I don't, I, you know, look, I, there's a lot of interesting retail picks out there. Nike's been re-rated this year. Uh, Dick's Sporting Goods. Um, you know, I sold Walmart uh, a couple of years ago. There's a lot out there to take a look but at. But that's the space you have targeted. I am I'm underweight there. I'm underweight there. I haven't really been inspired, but those are names that are on the watch list. Okay. Uh, speaking of retail, good day for Best Buy, uh, which is a good day for Shannon Sakosha, who owns it, joins us now. Shannon, give us your read here um, on why this stock is up a fair amount today. Pretty good day. Yeah, much better than anticipated, and there was a lot of concern. Uh, Best Buy was was not immune this summer from cutting their forecast for the full year from a same-store sales perspective. And for this quarter, they were thinking about a 13% decline, came in much better than that, about 10.5%. The one good thing that we um, have thought about in terms of holding on to Best Buy, even though we were concerned, is that management historically has done a great job in managing inventory, and their inventory is down about 15%. And so I think if you, you know, compare this to some of the challenges that we've seen, particularly for Target and Walmart, although the numbers are still way off where they were a year ago, they have done a pretty good job of not only guiding appropriately, but also beating those guided numbers. And most importantly, you know, they upheld their, their holiday forecast. Yeah, 12%. I know you take it. Speaking of holidays, have a good one if I don't talk to you ahead of that. Thanks, Scott. All right, that's Shannon Sakosha joining us. Other stocks uh, that we want to talk about, AMD and NVIDIA. Reiterated outperform BMO, AMD, price target 110, NVIDIA 210. So, Josh, NVIDIA, that's yours. Yeah, I think both of these stocks could be range-bound until we get some clarity on the direction of the economy next year. Because in the end, you get to a certain size in, in the semiconductor business, and you become uh, subject to whatever's going on cyclically. It's very hard to escape that. 
the, the, the thing that's held NVIDIA back is that this has not been a good year for gaming. And obviously, all of the use of GPUs and crypto have fallen off a, a cliff. And then there's concerns about enterprise spend and the data center and cloud and on and on and on. So I don't think those are uh, long-term issues. I just think now... Wall Street is particularly sensitive to those headwinds, and it's hard to imagine one or both of these stocks breaking out to the upside. So if you're a long-term investor, though, that's okay. You don't always have to have the month of May you know, every, every time you're in a stock. How about the chips here? I think semis are interesting. If you look at the performance month today, they've actually beat just about everything else uh, on, on the board. That makes sense. And, uh, it does make sense to a degree. Well, actually, because the valuations have reset a lot already. They're down for the semiconductors 30%. The stocks have reset a lot already. Look at a company like NVIDIA. And I think the optionality for semiconductors may actually come from the end of the tightening cycle. If you think about who's likely <coughs> to rebound the most, it's probably software and it's semiconductors. But I also like the optionality for potentially inflation peaking as well, because semis look like they're some of the more sensitive to inflation coming down from a pretty high level. So I like it. I would like to see probably a little bit more priced in in terms of earnings estimates, mm-hmm. but we've been going through a couple of quarters or earnings revisions, so that might be enough. Costco reiterated outperformed today at Cowan, Target 650. I'm surprised you don't own this one. Oh. <laughs> me too. Right? I mean, it <laughs> yeah. seems like you. It is me. Well, why tra- don't you? Because it trades at 36 times forward, right? So it's expensive. I can't really get my hands around it, but if it were to pull back substantially, absolutely. Well, what's a reasonable valuation then? It's not going to get there. Because, I mean, you own own other stocks that may be a little bit expensive for your liking. Like in the low 20s, you know, if you look at Nike and you look at at, uh, Starbucks and now Disney. I mean, this one is 36 times forward. And it should trade at a premium. There's no question about it, given its recurring revenue stream and the subscribers uh, and the 90% plus renewal rate. So it's a great story. It's just, to me, it, it acts like... It acts like a staple, it, as it should, given the recurring revenue. Mm-hmm. And where I am in that space is Dollar General. I'd rather own Dollar General. It's trading at 20 times forward estimates. And it acts like a staple. Okay. Yeah, we get a crack at Costco trading at a discount. That means something's really going really wrong. Really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. This stock's been a, one of the best operators really ever for yeah. mm-hmm. so, such a long time. Uh, all right, coming up. Uh, We have more strategy for the year ahead. We'll find out how one market expert is positioning for 2023. We'll do it when we come back. Domino's Pizza, this week announcing a partnership to deliver pizza by electric vehicle. More than 100 Domino's-branded Chevy Bolts are on the road in the U.S., with more than 700 coming by the end of next year, the largest EV pizza delivery fleet in the country. The pizza chain has committed to achieving net-zero carbon emissions by 2050. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime Report. I'm Contessa Brewer. Here's our CNBC News update. A factory fire has killed at least 38 people at an industrial wholesaler in central China. 
according to local authorities. It took firefighters more than three hours to bring those wild flames under control. We don't yet know what started the fire or how many company employees are among those killed. Vice President Kamala Harris is continuing a highly symbolic overseas trip across Asia. She visited Philippines and called on countries to stand up for what she called territorial integrity and freedom of navigation in the South China Sea. Harris adds the United States will defend Philippines against, quote, irresponsible behavior in disputed waters. That's widely regarded as a reference to China's recent actions there, though she did not call out China by name. And the countdown is on to 2022 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Performers began rehearsing in New York City ahead of the 96th annual parade. This year's edition will feature 10 performance groups, character balloons, 28 floats, and of course, dun, da, 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 Scott, just for you, Santa Claus. Well, thankfully. <laughs> Contessa, thank you, Contessa Brewer. Yeah. All right, stocks are higher, trying to... Uh, for the second gain in some three days. Let's bring in Ann Berry now, Threadneedle Ventures founder and managing partner. It's good to see you. Welcome to Halftime. Thanks, Scott. Good to see you guys. Yeah, uh, we debated for a while here of where this rally is that's supposed to happen between now and the end of the year. Is it going to show up or not? I don't think it's not only going to not show up, Scott. I think where we are now is only going to go one way, and I think that's south. I'm I'm finding the expensiveness of the S&P right now Uh, slightly perplexing when you look at a world that I think is about to see uh, increased recessionary outlook, certainly for the U.S.'s overseas markets, because we've got an energy crisis that I just don't think we're talking about enough quite yet here through the lens of the domestic U.S. market. Mm, But you don't even think between now and the end of the year, if we call it five, six weeks, we don't have room for a, a run that people are looking for before we have to face some of the more serious issues that you and others suggest are looming? I'm just not as as optimistic, Scott. I think there are a couple of things that are going to happen between now and the end of the year. I think the level of euphoria that we've seen uh, powering up, for example, the Netflix stocks, the Ford stocks, the GM stocks, these are ones I've done, you know, personally quite well in. I'm going to look to start closing those out because I do think that we're going to start having a return to uh, weak consumer sentiment here in the U.S., even weaker consumer sentiment overseas. And I think we're going to see the repercussions of that start to kick in before this year is out. Your personal holdings are sort of littered with a lot of these stocks that are in the crosshairs right now as it relates to mega cap tech. Apple, Amazon, mentioned Netflix, Meta, Google. Some say the tide has turned for a while for those. You agree? Um, I I think that we're going to continue to see them be very volatile and continue to struggle with the reductions, for example, in the advertising budgets, which I'm seeing and have seen for a little bit while uh, for a while now coming on the on the side of their clients. You know, there's been this this drumbeat to have marketing spend cut quite aggressively starting from the beginning of the summer. So I've been actually slamming the brakes, Scott, on on positions in those. I haven't been uh, averaging down my entry points into those. I've been pivoting to look at more US-centric, much less cyclical, much less interest rate sensitive businesses instead. Mm. Lastly and quickly, Disney, I notice you own personally. How do you feel today versus how you felt last week? Um, I feel a little bit better about the fact that Bob is back. Uh, but I'm not particularly bullish on uh, where Disney goes next until I start hearing some really strong execution plans. Um, We don't know yet what he's going to do. Yes, he's going to bring in the scalpel. He's going to go in for cost reductions. But until there is a plan to reignite growth in a profitable way, uh, I think we've got to sit tight on that one. All right. We'll talk to you soon. And thank you. That's Ann Berry joining us here on The Half. Cloud stocks down 12% in a week, off 60% from recent highs, down five days in a row. We'll find out how the committee is playing that group next.
right, we need to talk cloud stocks. We do because they're down five days in a row. Um, it's ugly. Steph, what's going on here? Don't tell me about IBM either. Let's talk Fortinet. <laughs> I am going to talk about like IBM that. because it's actually been one of the best stocks this year to date at all, out of all the stocks on the S&P 500. You count it, though, as like a pure yeah, they cloud have Red stock? Hat. Yes, they have Red Hat, and that's a big piece of their business now. And they're growing, and they've done about 20 different acquisitions in in cloud uh, to build that out, and they're executing. And they so are that is my That's my cloud story. That's the only thing I own. No, but you have Fortinet. That's, not, that's a cloud cyber story. Security. Cybersecurity, which I still like very much. It's like the, the, the it's very expensive in terms of the multiple. Um, that's why I only own a few of these in my portfolio. But I just believe in the total addressable market. I like the product cycle. I like the pricing power, gross margins, et cetera. So those are the two names. But yeah, no, IBM trades at 11 times earnings because nobody respects that they are becoming a transition story into the cloud. But they should be paying attention because the CEO is doing a great job. Okay. Uh, Jim, Salesforce. Yeah, I kind of wince when Salesforce gets brought down into forty-two. This. You should because it's down forty-two and a half percent year to date. Yeah, but it's not. Well, come on, Scott. It's not one of these crummy companies like a MongoDB or a Datadog that most people who bought them didn't know what the heck they were, but they just bought them because they were going up. This is the leader in in customer relationship management software. It doesn't mean uh, it wasn't overvalued before. It was overvalued before. I didn't buy it at the top. I didn't buy it at the top. This is a small position for me. I will say this, though, because your point is well made and well taken. It is has been an expensive stock. This has now come down. It's a 26 forward multiple. Mm. It's a peg ratio of 1.5. This discussion is helpful for me because now I'm thinking I'm not damning this with faint praise like I did Medtronic. I'm thinking I should maybe be stepping in at this valuation, adding to it. Thank you. At Salesforce? Yeah. Okay. Now, you know me, that doesn't mean like, hey, I'm not, you know, doing it in the next minute. I am here to initiate conversation, <laughs> trades, whatever you want to do, you do. Check mark. Whatever you do, you so do. Actually, you're actually helping him when you break his chops, just so you know. No, 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 don't encourage I'm glad he finally admitted don't that. Don't encourage Because him. I knew that was always so the case. You should do a little more, though. And so did the viewers. Now he knows it. It only took a few years. Can you do this daily? Yeah. Don't I? Josh, CrowdStrike. Yes. You're on the list, too. You're on my list. Yeah, no, that's cool. Uh, CrowdStrike. It's down 14% in a month. This was a $300 stock at the height of the, the, the mania in 2021. Um, I, I have a small position here. It's a position that I've traded around in the past, but I'll probably never sell it. Uh, I might add to it. It's still above my original cost average. But I do believe that this is... Uh, the best of the cybersecurity names, and I think cybersecurity is the most defensible area within cloud computing or software. So that's still the case. There's no reason why I would second-guess that. And every time CrowdStrike reports, it's a reaffirmation. So the trouble here is the valuation. It's Mm -hmm. not cheap. Mm -hmm. never was cheap. I don't expect it to get cheap. Uh, But that's what's holding the stock back in this particular environment. I don't know when that changes, yeah, but see, it's not changing right okay. now. Those are really good points that you make. A perfect segue to, to Anastasia, right? These valuations, these companies are guilty until proven innocent because of their valuations in this environment. Before, didn't matter. Now, everything matters. It's the stock, not the company. The companies are doing great. No, the great. stock, of course. The, the companies, stocks are guilty. Yes, until, all of yes. the companies are doing Agreed. great. Agreed. And the valuation matters. But if I look at the valuation of SaaS software, for example, it was at 20 times EBT, but it is six times today. So I would say, broadly speaking, a lot of the overvaluation of the froth has corrected. But within that, you still probably have stocks that are trading at multiples that are not acceptable for this environment. But my bottom line is that you don't want to be investing in cloud or software companies that have to grow into the revenues, that have to prove they can be profitable, and they only benefit from multiple expansion. That's not going to be a conducive environment. 
environment going forward. We can bet on multiple expansion. So you want to be investing in companies that have a cash flow that is growing, that are growing that cash flow, or they have the path to profitability, and they're not banking on multiple expansion. So that's how I would delineate it. And the last thing I'll say, Scott, you know, cloud has been thought of being this immune thing mm-hmm. that is not going to go down when everything else cyclically is going to go down. That's just not true because cloud expansion is going to continue, but at a slower pace. And we're seeing that through some of the software surveys that people are delaying. That's such deals. a great point. They're you know that none it. of these companies have lived through a recession? Like the last, forget, throw COVID out. The last actual recession we had was 07, 08. None of these companies existed, let alone were publicly traded, I'd with the honest. exception of, not really a SaaS player, but fine. I get your point. Uh, with the exception how, how of Salesforce, do on the other side these, of that? these were not, no, 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 we didn't have a SaaS-driven business environment. Right. Back right. in the day, right. you bought enterprise software from Oracle and you shut your mouth and you were happy. This is different. This is a la carte. I have 20 users on this. I have 500 users on that. Mm-hmm. We don't know how companies will react in a sustained downturn if we actually end up having one. And how many of these SaaS companies can convince uh, the CFO, no, 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 don't throw us out, mm-hmm. throw Workday out. We ju- there's a lot of them, right. and they've never been through it before. So we're going to learn a lot. Sorry. So we're going to learn something uh, after the break. Santoli has his midday word. We're going to talk insurance stocks, too, because you think they're boring. Aflac, 18.5% in a month. MetLife, 125 Progressive, 65 Arthur Gallagher, all, these are all-time highs for a lot of these stocks. 12.5%. We'll talk about it next. All right, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli joining us once again from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. I'll pose it to you the way we posed it at the top, refresh or reversal. I mean, we need to answer this question. Well, the market will answer it for us. I would say you lean toward this being a really pretty benign sideways move, a consolidation in the market. Um, It really feels as if like they bled bond market volatility uh, to some degree lower. Uh, that has allowed the equity market to stabilize. It's not, you know, consumer discretionary and equal weighted basis has been clawing back some performance relative to staples. The one thing that you'd point to to say, you know, it has veto power on all this is whether the yield curve is screaming that recession is right around the corner. And I think that the yield curve has such a long lead time as an indicator that it's not enough to say that the stock market is, is kind of done with this bounce. There's not a strong buying push behind it, but you know, I, I think as a, as a technical matter, it's, it's not really uh, giving you much to complain about. It doesn't have a fall out of bed feeling to it. I mean, it just doesn't, because I'm trying to think of what catalyst in, right in front of us in the next you know, couple weeks could do that. There really, there really isn't much. Well, there's not much. Um, now, you don't always see them coming. I mean, that's yeah, always that's, the that's problem, fair. right? Um, that's fair. The, the Fed speak has not really had much of a, of a, certainly not a net negative impact. It's kind of like the market saying, yep, we got it. We're there already. It's much more about the impact down the road of what the Fed's already done than what they're going to do next. Uh, so I think all that stuff uh, gets thrown into the mix. And, uh, and you have another little seasonal tailwind that comes in at a micro cycle in late November. We'll see if that helps. And I'll see you in a few hours for your last word. That's Mike Santoli. I mentioned insurance stocks hitting all-time highs. Josh Brown recommended that trade at the beginning of this month. We'll talk about that next.
All right, let's talk insurance stocks. Uh, I mentioned what these stocks are doing. Uh, and just to reiterate, in case you missed that, Affleck, all-time high. MetLife, all-time high. Progressive, all-time high. Arthur J. Gallagher, all-time high. We're talking about gains anywhere from, let's say, 6% to near 20%. Josh Brown, on November 1st, on overtime, said the following. This is the type of area where you can find stocks that have charts that are going from the lower left to the upper right. They're not expensive, good dividends. This is what you want to try to do this year, not worry about an overall melt-up for the S&P. Perfect for the conversation we've been having. What now? Yeah, so the S&P has gone nowhere, and these stocks are moving higher. And one of the reasons is that, historically, they've been one of the best sectors for inflation hedging. Everyone's got premiums. Everyone's premiums have to be rolled over. If you're a business, you don't skimp on insurance because the price goes higher. So they've got that defensive characteristic. There's also now M&A in the space. KKR just announced they're going to buy Global Atlantic Financial for $4.5 billion. All of the property and casualty stocks look great. And the way I learned it is you should be studying the 52-week high list, especially in a flat market, because that gives you some idea of where people aren't worried about whatever the bigger cyclical story is and want to accumulate. When you looked at the 52-week high uh, list at the beginning of this month, all you saw were insurance stocks. These stocks are still being bought, still being bid up, and I think the trade has legs. So I like many of the large caps that are found in the IAK ETF. Okay. We'll do final trades next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Overtime, 4 o'clock Eastern today. Great lineup. Liz Young is with us today. Joe T. That's Joe Terranova. Victoria Green, Eugene Prophet. We got Mark Newton. He's going to tell us what the charts are saying about this rally. Where is it? I don't know. He'll tell us. Cranes, by the way, has figured out what we've known for years. That Stephanie Link is one of the most notable women on Wall Street. You made the list in 2022. Congratulations to you. All right, Steph. Like I said... I mean, the secret's been out for years on that. Yeah, I could have told them that. Yeah, right? But congrats nonetheless. I appreciate it. It's a great honor. Thank you. Um, Do you want to do a final trade? Sure. Energy in general, I I like a lot into the end of the year. Halliburton, uh, they had a great quarter. They beat. They raised across the board. It was strong. North America International margins are going higher. So I know the stock is up a lot, but it's actually down 7% in the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. I would take advantage of that small pullback. How about this move in oil, though? Yeah. Are you concerned you at all? I mean, if we stay under 80 no, I think we're going to rally into the end of the year. Seasonally, this is do. a really strong period of time. Well, where's the rally? Well, it's starting today. Like the other rally. Where's the other rally? It's starting today. Look <laughs> at the energy stocks. All right. Okay, we'll see. Uh, Anastasia, good to see you. Uh, Dividend-paying dividend stocks. Um, if you're going to buy a dip in something, it's not a technology, apparently. It's dividend-payers. you got to compete with cash and 4.3% yield. Uh, I like it. Pharmaceuticals, exposure, and broader health care, staples, and energy. So a lot to like about dividend-payers. Okay. Jimmy, you got time, so tell me a good story here. First off, happy Thanksgiving, and oh, that's, that's, no, that time. that's no story. <laughs> happy Thanksgiving to, to everybody on the panel and everybody watching. What are you thankful for? Exactly. My mistake. What, what, what Literally, what the heck was I thinking? Please. Final trade, what so, and why? So Not I'm, your life story or what you're doing this all right, weekend, would you stop? Look, what you're cooking, <laughs> what sides. The Go. reason I did that is because I want to give a recommendation that people can be proud of when they sit down at Thanksgiving dinner and they say, I just bought shares in Kinder Morgan, yielding 6.1%, EBITDA nice and fat and growing, buying yeah. back shares, Kinder Morgan. Speaking if that of nice comes and up, and fat and I was going to say, 
if that conversation comes up at Thanksgiving, that is a table I don't want to be at. We're talking about <laughs> Kinder Morgan. I got some sad family. news for you. Uh, no, I can't. That's right. too mean. That's too mean. All right. You disinvited me yesterday, then you, you re-invited <laughs> me after the show. What's your final trade? I can't own this because I have too much in this category, but this is breaking out. Restaurant Brands International, QSR. It's uh, Burger King and Popeye's new CEO. All right. Yum. All right. Thank you. Uh, I'll see you in overtime. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.